0: We got it going on you no, me, I'm the hottest in the W-J-M-S This is according to RP
1: Turn up the volume, kick
0: back, and get raw with us From the latest hip-hop beats To social issues that cripple the black community All from the perspective of a young, strong black woman A strong black woman All right, everyone. I'm here with my very special guest, Marie. Marie, please say hello. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing out there? (laughs) So, Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to be part of the show today, be part of the platform
1: Oh, you're very welcome. You know, this is my very first ever podcast. I've never participated in a podcast before.
0: Really? I don't know why I thought you, I know, I know I see you on TV a lot, but I thought that you've had at least one other podcast. So I feel fortunate (laughs) that this is your first. Why thank you. (laughs) So Marie, I just want you to just take a little bit of time and let us know a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what you do. My name is Marie Pereira,
1: and I am the fourth daughter of two Haitian immigrants, and I migrated here from Port-au-Prince, Haiti with my family in 1970. We moved to Brooklyn, and essentially I was raised um, in different neighborhoods in Brooklyn with three um, other siblings. I'm the youngest one.
0: Okay, okay. And so with respect to the work that you do, because I I know we're going to get into uh, some of the work that that you're currently active in, but just to give us a a taste of kind of like, you know, what your career path has been.
1: Well, out of high school, I went to Midwood High School, for those who are Brooklyn people. (laughs) I transitioned to Kingsborough Community College. And then I obtained my nursing degree from there. So I was um, essentially an associate degree registered nurse. Okay. And then from then um, I got my bachelor's from downstate university, which is right across the street from Kings County from my Brooklyn (laughs) nights. And then um, I got married and I moved to long Island. And in that capacity, I decided to go to law school and the, Sort of like mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And that's when I became an attorney and I'm essentially a, a nurse attorney right now.
0: Nice. So what does that actually entail a nurse attorney? Because I know that many people, when they hear that they might think, okay, she does like legal nursing, but I know you do a lot more. So I just want to kind of clarify that a little bit for those who might be thinking, okay, this, she's a legal nurse.
1: Well, you know, Coming out of law school, I was recruited by the Bronx District Attorney's Office, and I was an assistant prosecutor mm-hmm. under DA Robert Johnson. And um, so, my specialty area, I want to say, is criminal law because out of law school, I was a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, after the the DA's office, I transitioned um, back into nursing, and I did a little bit of personal injury law with my brother, who, by the way, is an attorney in Brooklyn, and he mm-hmm. only does personal injury. And the the original plan was, um, when I was struggling to see what I was going to do after getting my bachelor's in nursing, I had this, um, I'll just go back just a little bit. My mother was very pro-education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got my associates and she was like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> She was like, oh, oh, uh, on, on degree, deux which is basically saying a two-year degree ain't nothing, girl. You need to keep it moving. So I, I said, all right, mom, I'm going to get my bachelor's. And even after the bachelor's, she was like, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> I heard that pe- people who don't have their master's can't move up in managerial <laughs> positions in nursing. Mm-hmm. So I was struggling. Should I get my master's? Should I do NP? Nurse practitioner was very new at that time. And my brother was like, you know what, sis, mom wants an advanced degree. Why don't you just go to law school? And then you and I, I know personal injury like the back of my hand. You know nursing. And we could just open up like a medical malpractice firm. That was what the plan was. Until that is, the DA came through my law school. And out of nowhere, I applied, expecting not to get into the DA's office actually, because my law school is not a top tier law school. I want to say that. Right. And usually, you know, being an attorney, Rita, that, you know, the DA's offices come, you know, when the classes are graduating. Right. But, but there's a myth that they only take people from NYU, Columbia, you know, the top tier law school, Yale, Mm. Harvard, So little law schools like Toro Law Center, which is where I went, and it was new at the time, relatively, we didn't expect that they were going to recruit anybody from our school. They were just doing it out of courtesy. Right. And then lo and behold, they recruited two people, and I was one of the two women. Um, And I got a position at the Bronx DA's office, sitting on the same bench with Yale, Columbia, Harvard, Cornell grads. Mm-hmm. Go figure. That that's another inspiration. Also, right. Don't let people make you believe because you took a certain path um, after high school that it can't happen for you unless you're an Ivy League. I went to Kingsborough, girl. All right, right. And I went to downstate, and I was a, just a regular nurse, and I I didn't graduate like with a four point gazillion. GPA:
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just say
1: that So people out here, you know, they have you thinking, you know, there's something in a box that you need to follow, and if you didn't do that, then it's over for you. Not right. true. Not true, because I was sitting, like I said, right there with those people from Harvard and Yale. I actually took the same bar they did. Some of them didn't even pass the first time. I did. So again, don't believe the hype, the negativity.
0: Right. Do right. your
1: thing how you want to do it. And if it's for you and you put in the time, then it's going to happen. So I know that was a lot of breath for that one question you asked me. But <laughs> Yes. But I that's, love it though. that's, that's <laughs> what happened. That's what happened. And then um, out of the D.A.'s office, I did my time there because you have to commit for a certain number of years. Right. And then um, I just went into criminal defense. And I did a little bit of personal injury with my brother and I discovered it just was not for me. Mm -hmm. And I just followed the path of being a criminal defense attorney. And then I became a litigator in matrimonial cases, like complex divorce. I just, um, at that time in my life, I had to be arguing with somebody. That was (laughs) me. I I was a litigator and personal injury involves litigation. But paper litigation, if right, you understand what right. I mean, like if somebody has an accident, they go to the hospital, they set up with a, you know, chiropractic clinic, neck and back, neck, knees, whatever it is. And then you send out a, a demand package with all the meds and say, give me my money. Usually it doesn't it doesn't involve live in court litigation. Right. right. And I, I thrived on that. So the personal injury didn't work for me, although it is a very lucrative area. Yeah, If you can get your feet in there and get those cases, you're in like Flint, but (laughs) it just, it wasn't for me. Right. You know, you're, you understand. It's the same
0: thing. Yeah. I personal injury wasn't. And it's funny because I was just talking to my friend uh, yesterday about personal injury law. You know, I had interned my first summer in Brooklyn Supreme and so I had to sit through a lot of these cases. I had to look through, you know, all the mountains and mountains of paperwork medical records. And I'm like, it was yeah, it was the same thing for me. It wasn't really for me. Um, but I said, I wish it was, because I know that once you're in, like you said, you're in. It's very lucrative, but you know, it's
1: very lucrative. It's very it, it, it is. My brother, um, he still has his office right on Flatbush. It's the law office of per- Pereira. Mm-hmm. And we we ended up coming to a compromise, um, and I had space in his office, and I still have space in his office, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. I I do my thing, he does his thing, and we agree to disagree because the personal injury, as lucrative as it is, is not my passion.
0: Right. Right. So Okay. So I know that you are doing a lot of work in the immigration space in fact that's kind of how we got connected is through um you know immigration type work with the migrants um with the migrant issue as recent as what it was what august 2021 with the del rio texas Mm -hmm. um situation and so i want to kind of talk a little bit about that work because it was it's very important work and i think that you know a lot of the news coverage has kind of shifted to other groups and many are wondering you know what's going on with the haitians has there been any updates like what's happening are there still people coming in through the borders like what is going on
1: there are still people coming in through the borders and just to circle back to explain how I got involved, um, let me just say, I, I never any to represent myself as some immigration expert, mm-hmm. even though sometimes when I appear on some network news, they will say immigration expert. I always try to speak to the producer to say, please don't represent me as an expert because I'm surely not an expert. I'm just somebody who is passionate about human rights for all right. immigrants. And I happen to be a child of immigrants. So my heart has a special soft spot for Haitian immigrants Mm -hmm. who I see are being mistreated because of the current system that manages immigrants. Mm -hmm. So I um, saw what was going on under the Del Rio's bridge and I was so hurt and so angry. I did a little video at home and there were some people who at that time qualified for TPS but who maybe didn't have it. And I said, if you qualify for TPS, I will do the TPS for you. I will assist you to do it. And all you have to do is pay the immigration fee and um, I'll help you do the TPS, temporary protective status, and get your work authorization without a legal fee. Mm -hmm. Um, And my daughter, who had a pretty decent Twitter following at the time, said, mom, I'm going to put this on my Twitter. And she did. And the little video I made from my living room went viral. And from then I received a call from different media outlets who wanted to know who I was, why I was doing this, what did I feel about the injustice and the inhumane treatment the migrants were getting under Del Rio's bridge? And would I come on their program to talk about it? That's how this whole network television thing evolved out of um, an effort to try to provide some free services to people. And um, it just, that's what I do. I still provide that service because although there are non-for-profits um, that do do it on a walk-in basis, there is so much need and not enough attorneys and funding. that a lot of people were on long waiting lists and they just were not getting their papers done in a timely manner. So what I do is I work uh, on a one-by-one basis. I eventually ended up opening up a non-for-profit 501c3 organization called Haitian Immigration Project, HIP for short. And it's relatively new. I don't even have like a website for it yet up. But I opened it, and my goal is to recruit attorneys and non-attorneys to provide services, narrowing it down to who qualifies for TPS, who qualifies for a work permit. Let's get you temporarily legal here, and let's get you working. That's m- the focus of, of HIP, and I'm working on that. And, um I unfortunately, a lot of people feel they think that because some of the migrants who were under the Del Rios Bridge were allowed to enter the U.S. and they were paroled in the U.S., Mm -hmm. that they automatically have some sort of legal status and they can work in the U.S. and just live their lives. Not true. These migrants are here most of them are waiting for court dates right. most of them don't have work papers and they really believe that once they let's say file claims for asylum and they got past that first interview where they say okay we'll let you in to allow you to file your asylum claim it automatically makes you legal to work here that's not true and and a lot of migrants too believe just because you got past that first interview where you said, I want to file asylum and they let you in that you will qualify as you know, Rita, that's not true either. Right. And what I believe is, yeah, a lot of the people who were paroled into um, the U S they, when I say they, the Biden administration and, and Homeland security, they let them in because the optics at that moment, as you know, was so terrible. And Mm -hmm. the outrage was so intense, globally, that they had to do something. So they ended up paroling a lot of people in, but they sent a lot of people back quietly on those night flights. that Nobody was there to write. But those who are here are just in limbo. They're not allowed to work. And they referred some of them to non for profits who would help them apply for asylum. But there's such a demand and not enough attorneys, a lot of them are just really wasting being hosted by family members, living marginally with no means. And they're suffering, and that's what's happening to the Haitians who were under the Del Rios Bridge. If they they have family, some of them have family, supportive family, but they're still not allowed to to work
0: here legally. Right. And I know that that has caused a lot of issues, you know, with uh, the groups that we had worked with, um, you know, last year in particular, like right after the 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 crisis, I, I would call it at the border. You know, we had a lot of individuals who were going to stay with family members, but again, there's no real support, right? So mm-hmm. at some point, the family members, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, how long are you going to be here as a, as my ward, right? Because there's no state funding, there's there's no real services um, to assist them, and so I know I had some of the migrants who were feeling as if their host family were resenting the fact that they're even there. Right. Mm -hmm. So it caused a lot, a lot of issues. And I think that the one thing that you, you, you said, um, you know, it resonates a lot. And I think some people, they don't really quite understand, like there are non-for-profit organizations that are doing the best that they can, but there's so many individuals in need of assistance there are not enough attorneys. So, I mean, I have one of my friends, she has like four, she has a caseload of 400
1: and Whoa.
0: yeah. And, 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 you know, and these this is the reality. There are so many individuals who are seeking assistance, and a lot of them do not have the funds to go get a private attorney to kind of work the case. And in that case, too, like I've reached out to private attorneys who don't want to deal with these cases because they, are in their mind, they've already made the assessment that there is no hope for this person, so I'm not going to waste my time. So there's so many different, um, you know, issues, a lot of nuances with respect to. Um, you know what's currently happening with the haitians here so you know we're not hearing so much of the news anymore because you know we, the news has shifted to the ukraine and in other groups but it's still a very it's it's still a crisis
1: absolutely it's still a crisis but the treatment that the ukrainians are getting and the treatment that the afghans eventually got mm-hmm. is completely different because see that type of suffering they related to politics. So if you're suffering from hunger, lack of health care, and humane treatment in your country of origin, and it's somehow tied to U.S. politics, then you can come in mm-hmm. and you're expedited. Then they give you humanitarian parole. Then they allow you to work. And then you have Airbnb offering host beds. Right. Then you have them giving you life coaching, insurance, housing. You, you get off the situation where you are and you land in the US and it's like you're not depending on a host family to feed you mm-hmm. because America essentially is welcoming you with open arms and all the different resources that's necessary to help you move on with your life here. That's not the case with Haitians, mm-hmm. but it is the case with Afghanistan, with people from Afghanistan and Ukrainians. And I'm not saying that they don't deserve that, Mm -hmm. But to me, suffering is suffering, whether or not it's because of communism and politics with the U.S. and the the going back and forth. It's still suffering. Right. So why the different disparate treatment?
0: You know, it's funny because I know many people ask that question and there have been many different responses to that. And one of the most uh, popular responses I think I've heard is the fact that, you know, uh, the Haitians and those who I guess, crossed the border illegally did so illegally, whereas the Afghans and the Ukrainians, in a sense were brought over here like they did not attempt to cross a border. they were actually flown into the United States, um, flown out of their current you know situations they're suffering and and that's why I guess there is this red carpet treatment for them because they quote unquote ended up here the right way as opposed to you know the Haitians, Mexicans, and the others that you know end up crossing these borders um, you know, quote unquote illegally. So I mean, what would be your response to that? Because that is a popular uh response that I've heard and it you know circles you know throughout the 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 interwebs as I call it, that there is the differences in the way that they entered.
1: My answer would be Something that some would say is infantile and ignorant, mm-hmm. but that is really the way I feel. Suffering is suffering. It doesn't matter if the Ukrainians are suffering because uh, Putin dropped a bomb or the Haitians are suffering because there are gangs, raping, kidnappings and hunger Poverty, no access mm-hmm. to healthcare, it is still the same body suffering. So it doesn't matter what the cause of the suffering is, suffering is suffering. And people right. who suffer need to get assistance because we're human beings. So to turn away somebody who is bleeding because maybe they were walking to work and they were kidnapped, and kidnappers uh, robbed them or looted their place of business, raped them, or you have a rape victim that was raped by uh Ukrainian uh, Russian soldiers who invaded Ukraine and dropped a bomb and uh, uh, their leg is amputated, but the Haitian leg is amputated too. Amputation is amputation. Suffering is suffering. So right. to me, I don't even care who came in legally and who did not. They're all fleeing oppression, pain, right. And suffering. That's how I see it. And I know it, it just sounds not political, very infantile. You, you know, that's just like a childish way to look at it. But I guess my heart is pure like a child. And when I see somebody suffering, I just see suffering. I don't see, oh, you came from Ukraine. Oh, I see. Oh, you know, we're beefing with Russia. We want to, you know, enforce democracy. And okay, you can come in. But, but the Haitians who are suffering the same way, sometimes even worse, when they come in, it's a, it's a different treatment. Suffering is suffering, Rita. Yeah. That's how I see it.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. And I, I think when you look at it from a human rights perspective and, a, you know, human perspective, uh, you know, one would take your position, right? I think the problem is that many people are seeing it through a political lens. Mm -hmm. And so it, in a sense, kind of numbs their, you know, their empathy in a sense, right. Or whatever empathy they would have had or whatever sympathy it numbs them to an extent because they're only seeing it black and white. And in reality, these issues are not black and white issues.
1: They're not black and white issues. And maybe because I am a child of two Haitian parents who Didn't flee because of any political oppression or anything like that. We Mm -hmm. just came here in the seventies because it was the trend and we were just looking for the American dream. But at the end of the day, I'm Haitian with Haitian blood running through my veins. So when I see Haitian people suffering, it it resonates hard Mm -hmm. with me. And to me, my people suffering because of natural disasters, political corruption, uh interference from outside sources like Americans for years with haitian growth i I feel a way that the Haitians need to be helped just like people from situations where it's political mm-hmm. they deserve
0: humanity too, like you said, so now, Marie. With people who are tuning in who are like, okay, I I thought that this Haitian crisis was over because, you know, I'm not hearing about it anymore in the news. I, you know, I don't I I thought I thought everything was was hunky dory. Um, But now that I'm hearing that the situation is still dire, how can one help? Like, how can one realistically help? Right. Because there's there's so many ways, I guess one can come to an assistance, but people, they want to be effective. They want to be efficient. They want to make sure that the time that they are spending and they're dedicating is spent in, in, you know, on the right effort. So what are some things that, you know, people, you know, could do if they want to support, um, you know, the Haitian migrants who are, who are here in the United States?
1: You know what? You can adopt a family. You can contact a non-for-profit. You can donate You can uh, lend your intellectual resources. Mm -hmm. You can find out who qualifies for TPS, who qualifies for a work permit, and maybe assist that person to complete those applications because they don't have money to complete it for themselves. Mm -hmm. Whatever little thing that you can do, even if it means reading a a letter for somebody who doesn't speak English, even if it's being a third party to a phone call, if they're trying to hire an attorney or going to some service to fill out a form for them, to avoid them getting scammed, to avoid them being taken advantage of, you can do that. It's just not a lot that legally, if the person is here and they don't qualify for TPS and they don't qualify for asylum, we just have to wait until there's some type of immigration reform, some type of decision or executive order by the existing administration Mm -hmm. to allow them to come in on a
0: humanitarian basis and allow them to work. Oh, boy. So much. So much. There's, There's a lot there, right? There's a lot there. And I think that it's good for us to, I guess, highlight the fact that this issue is still ongoing nothing has been resolved but i do like the approach in terms of how we can help in terms of um you know hosting a family assisting a family that's current that's currently a host family right to be able to provide for the migrants that they're hosting i think a lot of people uh might bypass that and they always think okay legally when we th- talk about assistance and we need assistance for the migrants most people automatically think okay they're looking for legal assistance and so they take themselves out of you know out of the running and they take themselves out of the cause but i think that you know being able to 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 whether even if you can't necessarily fully sponsor um a family but maybe providing whatever assistance you can to the individuals who are hosting families i think is also a really really good way where we can still um still assist in providing humanity for, for these individuals.
1: Yeah. And to help them, you know, maintain their dignity. Yeah. You know, even if it's, you know, Christmas is coming, a toy drive, Thanksgiving is coming, you know, making sure that everybody gets a hot meal, mm-hmm. you know, donating to maybe bigger organizations that you trust that the money's right. going to where they say it is one step at a time, one person at a time, you don't have to help the whole world. If we each just targeted one migrant and said, you know what, I don't have it like that, but tell me what you need. And maybe I can give you a few dollars
0: right? or right.
1: help you do something or find you some type of work. And I'm not, you know, advocating people working without permits, but you know, as they say, Paul Pali, Paul comprend." Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, because it's not like they're not willing to work. Right. Well, maybe they could volunteer their services to you and you could say thank you in response if that's how you want to look at it. But people are looking to work. They're calling me all the time. They're looking for babysitting services, Mm -hmm. housekeeping services. But then, you know, they're not working. Right. They're not they don't have authorization to work. So technically, if you hire them and pay them because of what they're doing, it is sort of violating the law. But if somebody's helping you and you just want to say thank you for your help, that's another. That's a whole other story.
0: Right. So maybe right.
1: you know we can look at it that way. Um, but and then also for all for those of us who are here who can vote, let's not forget the power of the vote because right. this requires a bigger fix and. In and, and the area of immigration reform mm-hmm. and Congress members making laws to help the migrants and to help the undocumented find their way to being legal, find their pathway to citizenship, the power of the congressional pen and the vote. So, those of us who can vote, what we should do is vote for a person who understands the needs of our immigration crisis. So, if you're a constituent that cares about immigration, then you should make sure you vote for people in Congress, in the Senate, your council members, people who will help to echo your feelings that humanity is humanity, regardless of where you're from. So, no immigrant or group should be given preferential treatment over the other one because of politics. So, put people in power who could sign laws to help immigrants. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Vote. Because when you look at someone like Sheila McCormick, if Mm -hmm. I'm not butchering her name, Haitian American, elected in Florida as a congresswoman, she's always talking about rights of immigrants, all immigrants, but with a highlight on Haitian immigrants. You know why? Because she's a child of immigrants. So she understands and she empathizes. So she has a deep connection with the Haitian people. So if anything is running across her desk and she has to vote or not to vote for something that's going to benefit immigration while not putting Americans in jeopardy, she's going to vote to help an immigrant. Mm -hmm. So vote, 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 vote. It's important. For those of us who have the right to vote, don't waste it by not voting.
0: Vote for people who are going to advance our cause. And I like that because I think that, you know, again, it, it's one of those things that you would hope that everyone would exercise their right to vote. But I do understand why some may be frustrated with the system um, because of what, you know, what they see. It's not a perfect system. And I think if we were to see, understand that, right, and accept the fact that it's not a perfect system, uh, maybe we wouldn't have such high expectations for it in, in, you know, to the extent that it would prevent us from exercising our right to vote. But I think that something just as simple as that being informed, staying connected to politics to an extent to really understand the power that you hold with that vote, I think is very critical when it comes to things such as immigration reform and things like that. So I think that's also a really, really great point. And, you know, for those who are listening, Again, I understand why people can be frustrated with this idea of voting. Many feel like their votes are going to waste anyway, so why even bother? But it matters. It definitely matters. And for me, I always say that the national election, obviously, is, you know, it's important. But it's really the local elections, the grassroots, like that that real local, like the district leaders, the council members, the assembly, you know, the Senate, Congress, I think... People overlook these positions as like, oh, these are small positions. What are they really doing? But the council, especially in New York, they have a lot of power uh, when it comes to uh, many of these issues. So I think just a little education um, would go a long way when it comes to our community.
1: Absolutely. Because like you said, it starts from the bottom up because you can vote in a national election. And you can have a president who has empathy towards the rights of immigrants Mm -hmm. and who wants to engage in legislation to promote immigration reform and pathways to citizenship, and you have a Congress who's not in line with that mission, they will be blocked from enacting anything that's permanent. They can engage in maybe temporary executive orders, but executive orders last as long as the president is in power. Right. Once they get out of office, the new person shoves all the orders aside and puts what, what's on their agenda into effect. Mm-hmm. So voting for people in Congress and in the Senate is essential. And like you said, voting on a local level is very essential as well, mm-hmm. not just for the presidential election. You need to vote in midterm elections for governors, for senators, state senators, congressional members, all of it. It all matters because all the pieces line up. And if you're on top and the people who are on the bottom don't agree with you, they can stifle
0: you to no end. Mm-hmm. Very, very layered, very, very layered, these topics of ours. So I wanted to circle back a little bit myself with respect to, you know, all of the accomplishments and all the work that you've done. So, you know, I don't some of you guys have tuned in last week and you guys know that this month. Well, we're in the month this is you know october now but that september was self improvement month and you know many people were really interested in that topic because i think that we are in an age where P, you know i think i feel like everyone to some extent is looking to improve themselves in some way shape or form and listening to just your journey um i think it's very inspiring for those who are you know really on this journey to self improvement and a lot of times when we think of self improvement we see it as such a daunting task a lot of us don't really um, see the journey as a step-by-step. Step. It's kind of like, where's the final destination. And if we, you know, make one wrong turn, we, you know, we find that it's over. Right. And so I think that, you know, when you were talking about how you started off at Kingsboro and then you went off, you know, to downstate and then I was like, these are like what I like to call like the marginal steps to getting to greatness. And so, you know, I wanted to kind of circle back and talk to you more about your journey in in through the lens of this self-improvement. Um, You know, what is the mindset? You know, what mindset do you have when you think about moving to the next level? Because you were a nurse, then, you know, you became an attorney and then, you know, there were different routes through the, you know, the uh, attorney uh, um journey that you took, you know, thinking you were going into personal injury, then really getting into the criminal law and then criminal defense and things like that. And then now, even though, you know, you don't, you may not deem yourself to be an immigration expert. I've seen the work that you've done. You know, I follow you, um, on social media and part of some of the groups that you're in and you are a, a, a staunch advocate, for immigration rights and you're doing your part in the community. And I would think that there had to be like steps to self-improvement that you took in order to achieve all of these milestones. So if you could just talk to us about like what your process was like, just so that if somebody who's tuning in is like, wow, like Marie was able to do all of this. Like, you know, I want to improve myself, but I don't really know how. First, you just have to remove the
1: negative sayings and, And your head and people around you who say that you can't do it. Because if I had listened uh, to people, I would not even have gone to college. Because out of high school, even though I was a a pretty decent student, I was never told by a counselor to even take the SATs. Can you imagine? I never took the SATs. Wow. I, I never had a guidance counselor. Back then, who sat me down to say, "Take your SATs. That's how you get into university." And have you, and 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 what what have you? So I I went to Kingsborough, and I just knew in my head that because of you know what I've what I'd seen growing up, I needed a job where there was a lot of issues with inflation and economic disaster and during that time when I was growing up and graduating from high school. I just wanted a job that. I could always be employed. that was very important to me. Mm-hmm. I had an economic fear of being unemployed so I, I I did that and then i I realized because I had a mother that was always pushing me like I said earlier mm-hmm. that i it's okay if you don't go to an Ivy League school. you could go to a CUNY school, you can go to a school that's not top tier, and once you get there, work hard and be outstanding in your rank and be noticed, which is what I did. So I took my community college, I went to downstate, I went to Toro, I studied very hard in law school, and I made myself stand out. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you know, come from Ivy League to achieve Ivy League type accomplishments. As long as you work hard and you make yourself stand out, then you'll emerge a star. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. No, because it makes a at, lot of sense. It makes a lot of yeah, sense. Because at the end of the day, I made it to the DA's office. And uh, not too many people came from I, I other than top tier law schools. Mm-hmm. So that didn't bother me. And even when I made the decision to go to law school, even though I had the plan to go into um, practice with my brother, people were saying, oh, you're never going to get a job. There are too many lawyers. You're not going to pass the bar. And then something happened. I was married at the time, but I had a a pregnancy that was not, you know, in the plan for my first year of law school. Mm -hmm. People said, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, you're going to have to drop out. You know what? You just need to work hard, remain spiritual, pray, set a plan and work for it. Not just to say I want, but you have to put in the work. Right. I believe you can be anything you want. If you put in the work, do the research. And that's that. I never, I mean, other than, you know, classes and, law school for immigration, I never worked as an immigration attorney, Mm -hmm. but I do watch the news. I read and I know what TPS is. I have friends who are immigration experts. So I network with them and I say, Hey, how do you do a TPS? I've never done one before. You've done it, right? So you walk to that person's office, you sit down, you grab a book, you look at the form, you read it, if there's a law within the form you don't understand, you read that too. You enrich yourself. Look for resources, networking, but don't just mooch off people. Make it make sense to you too. So now it's nothing crazy, but I could definitely do a TPS and help somebody out. I could do a work authorization and help somebody out. And that just all, I had to teach myself that with the help of friends And in a support system.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So uh, to answer your question, I I think a lot of it, self-improvement has to be a willingness to work hard, a willingness to put in the work. Like my mom always says, sit on the bench and study because nothing is
0: just going to be given to you in life. You have to work. So with respect to self-improvement, it sounds like a lot of it really is, like you had said, the willingness, right, to put in the hard work and to really be dedicated. I think that so many people, you know, they want the results, but they don't want to put in the work. And I think that might be where, I guess, when we think about self-improvement, where people get frustrated because I guess they think that, you know life is just easy right and things could just be handed to them without putting that hard work and dedication in but i love you know your story again because it shows that you you know if there's something that you wanted you went after it but you didn't have any expectations that things would just fall into your lap you put in the hard work you put in the study time and you took the steps to enrich yourself to then improve yourself so i think that everything you said is spot on when it comes to what self improvement truly is I,
1: you know what, there's nothing is given to you. For everything you are, you need to study your craft. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And it involves getting up and showing up. It doesn't matter how cold it is. So um, I think what I was saying is I, I have um, a daughter, she's in an RT program, a respiratory therapy program, and mm-hmm. it's very intense. She has to be at her clinical site by 730. It's usually in Manhattan. We live out in Nassau County. So she has to really, you know, be on her way by like 5.30 in the morning. And it's a jarring shock for her because she's not a morning person. Mm -hmm. And you know, when she comes in and she's tired and I, you know, she complains and says, Oh, mom, I'm so tired. And I said, but, but Tam, when you go on the highway, there's always like a a traffic jam, right? Because other people are outside too. And when you show up at the hospital, people are there, right? So you're not the only one doing it. For everyone you see, that has a stethoscope around their neck and a name tag, they studied hard to get to where they are, Mm -hmm. to earn a degree, to pass the licensing examinations, and to be where they are. So you just have to do what you got to do, do what you do. Be be happy that at least you have a car, you started, it's nice and warm, and you're driving. Because some people have to drive from our house to outside of the gate where we live, catch a bus to Jamaica Station, and then do a train back and forth. At least you're driving. So I, I don't want to hear no complaints. You want <laughs> something, you work for it. And that's that. Same thing. You know what law school was like. You know what studying for that bar was like. You know what undergrad was like. Don't nobody give us nothing out here. Right. You just need to study and work, count your blessings
0: and keep it moving. Nothing comes easy. I think what I'm hearing too, from everything that you've said is also the gratitude piece. I think a lot of times we fail to show gratitude, even in little things, like you said, you're lucky that you have a car that you're able to travel to work, whereas other people are waking up at 3am just to get to the same job, right? So I think that gratitude also goes a long way when we're thinking about self-improvement. And I think also just giving ourselves grace of uh, understanding that it is a journey. It's a process. It's not, you know, you start and then you expect to be at the finish line the next day. So I think that also helps because I think a lot of times people are interested in doing better, but they're just so easily knocked off because of one little mistake, or maybe because they fell once and they, you know, they don't understand the concept of getting back up again. So I think that showing yourself grace is another thing that people should. Think about when they're on their journey of self-improvement as well.
1: Absolutely. And and you know what they say about age too? It's nothing but a number. Right. I don't, you know, no how old you are, you can, you can become what you want to become. As long as your intellect and your health is intact, you can do it. So just because you're maybe 30 and you don't have an undergrad degree doesn't mean it's over for you. Right. Or even 40. Or even 50. You can do it as long as you apply yourself. And like you said, give yourself a little bit of grace, but you have to put in the work too, because nothing comes without a price. You have to be able to show up and apply yourself, be consistent about it. And everyone you see out here with a position, with a degree, following their dreams, pursuing, They're putting in the work. I I think, you know, in today's generation, it's not like it was when I was growing up. Because at the end of the day, didn't nobody buy me a car when I was going to Kingsborough. I used to catch the B49 (laughs) and be out there all day walking. I didn't even have a car. Kids today, we give them everything. Right. And they're still complaining about what they can and cannot do. I didn't have, my mother gave me prayers and she sheltered me and she gave me money for the training, money for lunch and money to buy clothes. But that's all she could do for me. She didn't speak English. She was working as a housekeeper, a, a nurse's aide. Her English wasn't long. She couldn't read an essay for me, edit anything, fill out an application, nothing for me. And we And I still got to be where I am. So mm-hmm. never mind that these kids out here now who I'm sure you're, you you have children mm-hmm. and you're going over there and work with them. You're giving them advice. You're filling out applications. You're looking at maybe, I don't know if they're college age, but you're looking at, you know, um, essays to, to get in, to, to apply for certain benefits in school. I didn't have none of that. I don't know about you. I didn't know I
0: (laughs) my mom has no idea what my tuition application looks like she has no idea what a loan looks like I literally did everything on my own everything Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so I don't know I maybe I have a little bit of zero tolerance for people who complain Mm -hmm. but don't complain you just need a will right okay and some prayers they don't hurt either either but yeah. you need to help. Help. You have to help yourself. You that's definitely true. have to help yourself. Nobody's going to give you anything. Everybody you see that somewhere, they started from the bottom and now they're up or in the mm-hmm. middle or wherever they are. But you got to start.
0: And I and think that's, that's the important part. Yeah, that, that definitely is the key, the starting piece. I think that whole like saying analysis paralysis is real. <laughs> <laughs> it's a few you, if you want to improve yourself, then you need to just, you know, start the process, even if you fail or it's not perfect, you know, but sitting back and and analyzing all the ways you can improve yourself will not improve yourself. So yeah, you need to grab a book,
1: study, research, surround yourself also with positive people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's another thing. Your environment is important too. Mm -hmm. If you're you know, if you want to improve yourself and be somewhere and you're hanging around with a bunch of people, then I'm not talking about just kids. Adults, you know, stifle themselves, too, by right. surrounding themselves, themselves with negativity. Mm-hmm. That'll knock you down, too. Surround yourself with people who are like minded visionaries and who can help you. Network with positive people, mm-hmm. people like me and you, what we're doing now. These things matter.
0: Yeah, they really do. And I think that a lot of times we underestimate how our environment can really take it, you know, make an impact on our way of thinking. And then our way of thinking informs the way that we move. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important. Well, Marie, I know that we can go on all day about, you know, <laughs> self-improvement, about what's happening, you know, with our brothers and sisters here, um, you know, from Haiti. There's so many things that we can continue talking about. But I one thing I really want to... Um, have you share again before we end today's conversation? Is the nonprofit that you um, started up because I think it's so important for us to highlight the work that our guests are doing, and you know, you never know somebody could be tuning in, and even if it's not necessarily something that they're able to get involved with, they may have a friend or a family member that may have been looking for an opportunity, like the one that you are, you know, creating and providing. So if you could just share with us, um, your the name of your nonprofit, and then how people can also get in contact with you, they may have questions based on what you've, you know, said today, maybe they want you to be on their podcast, maybe they want you to be on their, you know, television special, there's so many opportunities. And I want to make sure that your contact information is shared.
1: Well, the nonprofit is Haiti Immigration Project. And I actually have an Instagram handle, Haiti Immigration Project. Mm -hmm. I don't have my website live and up yet. I'm working on it. But basically the mission is to provide services to Haitian immigrants to assist them in assimilating into our culture, documented and undocumented. And I'm going to be... Doing fundraisings. I'm gonna be at holding workshops and really teaching people how to fill out the immigration forms to empower themselves. Because at the end of the day, you do not need to be an attorney right. to represent yourself in an immigration case. And most of it is very paper intensive. So if you could learn how to do simple, not complicated immigration petitions, but a TPS and a work permit is a start. If you're willing to learn, whether you're a lawyer, you're a law student, somebody's neighbor, or you just want to do it for a family member, you can contact me and I'll walk you through it. And then you can walk the person who you're helping through it and they can help the next person and so on and so on. I believe through education and knowledge, there's empowerment. And that's what Haiti Immigration Project is all about. Anybody who wants to reach me, you can just call me. I prefer you text me on my cell. The number is 516-263-9089. Shoot me a text, and then I'll set up a conference call with you with a question, an inquiry, and that is that. I'm not um, an attorney who's here looking for business. In fact, all I do is volunteer my services at this point. So if you have a case and you're trying to pay me to help you, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you to help yourself. I'll assist you to fill out the application and I'll show you what to do. And I'll discuss various benefits that may apply to you, but I'm not looking to get paid for the service.
0: And I think that that's so important the help you help yourself aspect of it, because these forms, although some of them can appear daunting. I remember when I first started, uh, you know, doing TPS paperwork for individuals, I was still in law school. I had not graduated. Mm -hmm. And just like you, like I did not, you know, aside from my childhood court experiences with my parents in immigration Mm -hmm. court, I didn't go to school for immigration law either. I kind of fell into the work by doing a lot of clinics and after, you know, the the first earthquake, just really diving into working with the legal aid societies and from there on surrounding myself with immigration attorneys and really picking up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, picking up the skill set. But it is something that again, you don't have to be an attorney. And I think for those individuals who are out there who want to be able to help but are like, oh, I'm not an attorney. I can't, you know, I, I won't be useful you will, you will be useful because these, if you can read and if you can comprehend, you'll be able to really, you know, get through these forms. And I love the fact that, you know, we're also teaching, teaching our brothers and sisters how to kind of navigate these forms as well too, because it would save them money. It would save them, you know, a lot of the frustration sometimes in dealing with, uh, attorneys offices that might not really be in their best interest.
1: Very much so. And people out here with the multi-services, I'm not throwing them under the bus, but a lot of times they will fill out a form for you. They don't do it right. You can't reach the person afterwards. They're charging you fees as if they're attorneys. And you're the one who at the end of the day who can't even afford it. You're trying to get a work permit and someone is scamming you and not doing the work permit the way they need to. So why not just learn how to do it yourself through an attorney who's willing to lend her expertise to you and show you how to do it. Right. Because I and th- show people how to do it. I don't just do it. I will sit with you and show you how to do it.
0: And I think that that this all still ties back into that self-improvement stuff, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. you need the assistance. You want to improve your yourself and your condition. Sometimes you have to put in the work, and so that expectation of somebody else will do it for me, you can't get very far in life if that's the mentality. So the fact, again, I love the fact that you're teaching people to to do things for themselves. And I think if you are wanting to better your circumstance, better yourself, it behooves of you to you know to take the instruction, right, to 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 get the skill set. So I, I, it all falls in my mind. I'm like, this is all full circle. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. That's <laughs> All right, Marie, well, thank you so much for taking the time to just come on this platform and to one, you know, give us so much inspiration and motivation, you know, to move forward in life. I think that your story, your journey, and even the work that you're still doing is very inspirational, Um, you know, not just for those who are looking to take the next next step, but I think to anyone, really, I think a lot of us can resonate with parts of, if not all of your story. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for really bringing us up to date as well, too. As to the current situation of the Haitian migrants and their status here in the United States, you know, again, the news is not really uh, going in that direction so much. And therefore, I think people are under the assumption that all is all is good. So thank you for still, you know, being a staunch advocate and really keeping your ears to the streets and and your nose in the books uh, and really giving us that information. I think uh, that a lot of us were just so desperately in need of.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time that you gave to allow me to just give my two cents. It was important to me. Thank you so
0: much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host, and I will talk to you guys next week. You are listening to According to RP on WJMS. Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all online. WJ.